0: Chris O'Connor here. Join the Curmudgeon Rock Report's invite-only curmudgeonly community at facebook.com slash curmudgeonrock. Also look out for a Spotify playlist that pays honor to this episode.
1: This is the Curmudgeon Rock Report and this is your podcast made by Rock Geek Iconoclastic Outsiders for Rock Geek Iconoclastic Outsiders. For those of you who lament that rock music has gone the way of jazz and slipped into niche genre status, we are here to keep that flame alive by providing insight, analysis, recommendations, and honest takes, not hot takes. And hey, there's a good chance you'll learn some rock history you never knew before. Well, well, well. It's the end of the year right after christmas and just before the new year and on this episode you're listening to now we are going to embark on what we hope will be an annual tradition for the curmudgeon rock report as you loyal listeners out there will probably know (laughs) chris and i often like to troll music critics across the spectrum and especially troll some of their questionable tastes uh these are music journalists and critics from rolling stone spin pitchfork the enemy even mojo if some of you out there are as into music media as much as we are you would have noticed some of the horrible atrocious tone-deaf choices some if not many of these professional music writers have made for their end-of-year best of lists well we have decided to put our money where our mouths are and yours truly curmudgeons will give their choices for the best albums of the year in ranked order granted Many of these albums have already been talked about at length in our Parallel Universe review segment throughout the past year. But we are now taking them out of a parallel universe, taking them out of that context where rock music is still a mainstream pop cultural force, and into our universe where rock music, well, isn't quite that anymore. But that's okay. That means we get to mention and talk about music that not only isn't within the rock genre, but in some cases is actually quite popular within the popular music mainstream. Hey, sometimes you have to shake the hand of the corporate devil. There will be some overlap because there have been several albums that we both like. But there will definitely be some disagreement. I can count three albums on Chris's list that are absolute dog shit yikes so get your pen and paper handy or your notes app on your smartphone and jot down some sterling recommendations as the curmudgeon rock report provides you what are truly the best albums of 2022
0: list mania baby you ready yeah
1: it's that time of year
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh folks. So we have reached the final week of twenty twenty two. Uh Merry Christmas. Uh happy Hanukkah. And uh do they celebrate anything un- unusual in Korea? Is there a um Umorean? Cr- Christmas equivalent?
1: over here is they did they just treat it like Valentine's Day, you know, it's just like a, you know, little flimsy little holiday.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh we're in love with Christ. No, uh no actually no i think they just like give gifts and yeah. whatever and yeah hey you know uh, w- we're in love with the world anyway uh yeah this will be exciting so uh each of our top 20s uh or our best albums of the year uh mm. some big big shock there is some divergence right although but there's some uh,
1: overlap too quite a bit of yeah, it, actually
0: yeah quite a bit of overlap i mean yeah i mean i mean the but the best stuff was the best stuff and then from there it's just a matter of tastes uh uh, he has his bad taste, and I have mine, and we both disagree <laughs> with that statement. Uh, so, uh, before we get going, let's play a little game. Uh, Art, uh, what was your favorite song this year?
1: Uh, I think I already, um, I think I already mentioned it of a, an episode or two ago, but yeah, definitely uh, Angel Olsen, uh, the title track from her album of this year, Big Time. I'll Good talk talent. about it a little bit more because her album is in my top twenty, and I'll talk about that as well. But yeah, that and, and I'll describe it more in detail there. But yes, that is my pick for song of the year.
0: Yep. Uh, what happens when uh, you write about your girlfriend with your girlfriend? Yeah. Uh, it's just an interesting case. Uh, mine would be Black Midi- Midi's Welcome to Hell, which oh, I'll also talk a little bit later because uh, Black Midi's album, Hellfires, uh, we'll be talking about that uh, in my list. Uh, it was the wackiest, weirdest, and in, in an odd way, most profound anti-war song of the year. Uh, and so, uh, is it the most orthodox pop song of the year? No, I think big time actually is my runner up, uh, from Angel Olsen. But, uh, that Black Midi song is, it was, was just sort of a really fascinating brew of styles that you don't get in the same song too much, which really struck a chord with me. One last question, R.D. Uh, worst album you heard this year? Okay. My worst album of the year, my pick for that is...
1: Not so much because it's the album is a complete, total piece of shit. It's because I'm so disappointed in this artist's career trajectory. And that's Vince Staples and his album of this year, Ramona uh, Ramona Park, Broke My Heart. Um, his first album in 2015, Summertime 06, is a great, really inventive hip-hop album. And FM from 2018, I think, is one of the best albums of the decade. Since that album, he's really, really gone downhill. Musically, Ramona Park, Broke My Heart kind of follows from last year's album, the self-titled album, Vince Staples, with just these moody, mellow, ethereal, laid-back, sad sack, hip-hop beat bullshit. Um, Lyrically, how much more is he going to really like rap about his hometown growing up? He's done yeah. that so much in every single freaking album. Find another inspiration Vince. And number 3, the one that I really 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 disappoints me. What what happened to his rapping skill? It's just <laughs> weird. This guy was one of them had one of the most innovative and interesting flows in all of hip hop. And now he's just practically sing-speaking most of the time. Uh, no, 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 no. That's his flow in every song. Uh, no, 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 no. What the hell, dude? It's like he's doing a low-rent Drake. It's really, really, really bad. And I know his records are now, like, he's he's, he's, he's um, self-releasing. Although from what I see on his last two albums, uh, Motown actually did the distribution of sure. these last couple of records. And it's clear that he's trying to streamline his sound for a corporate uh, hip-hop radio uh, fan base. It's not really working, (laughs) you know. uh, He hasn't had any hits. Um, His last couple of albums have not... I mean, yeah, they all debuted at number 21, um, but they really haven't, like, hung around much. And it's really disappointing to hear Vince Staples go in this downward uh, trajectory. I'm really disappointed in him. Cause I really like the guy. I think he's super talented. I just he's just. I I think he's trying to change it. Cause again, when you're changing your sound, um, it can go in several different ways. You can change your sound to a more radio friendly way where you're alienating your old audience but picking up new fans. But you can also change your sound to an extent where you alienate your old fans and you don't pick up any new fans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, think, I think that's what cool. seems to be what happened. What's happening? Yeah, he's pick he's picking up critical fans, but he's not picking up fan fans. Yeah. As far as my worst album, there were several to choose from. Uh, I said uh, this was one of those uh, years where it wasn't very top heavy, but it sure was bottom heavy. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Nova Twins and really? Supernova.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, this is bad. a piece of garbage that. A lot of people like it. Was one of the top on Metacritic this year. Metacritic is a website that rolls up and it kind of the averages. It's like the uh, it, it follows like all the critics and it assigns a score and then it does a composite score. It was like one of the top five best reviewed records. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? Because it's it wants to be. It can't under. It wants to sort of be 80s metal or like 80s Rick Rubin. It sort of wants to be disco. It sort of wants to be funk. Mm. Uh, it sort of wants to just sort of be like Black Prince rock and roll. What ends up happening is it's like they're trying to do science fiction uh, trap and house mm. uh, with with eighties vibes to it, and it just goes into a blender and it comes out like like just like the most disgusting like puke you've ever seen in your life. And yeah. so it's just it's make it stop, make it mm. stop. Yeah. Uh, uh, close runner-up, by the way, is Earl Sweatshirt. Sick. Well, he's always sucked. I've never been
1: a fan of his at all.
0: Yeah. Some <laughs> worst, worst
1: rapper, worst lyricist, worst beats, worst of everything. And the only the only thing that matches him for suckiness is that uh, the member of his collective, Tyler, the Creator.
0: Oh, I I don't mind Tyler, but the thing about Sweatshirt is like, <laughs> like the thing about Sick is you know the hip hop is about like motif. Right. And about like taking that thing and uh, taking that snippet and repeating it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Earl didn't get that memo and his producers didn't get that memo. And so it's kind of like music that rolls downhill and he's rapping downhill with it. And it never, it doesn't want to come back around. And so it's Mm. like, uh, what, uh, it's just this formless, shapeless garbage. Chris here. As we approach 2023, we wanted to take a moment to remember the groundbreaking and, in some cases, legendary artists we lost in 2022. Ronnie Spector, Meatloaf, Taylor Hawkins, Naomi Judd, Mickey Gilley, Ronnie Hawkins, Lamont Dozier, Pharoah Sanders, Coolio, Loretta Lynn, Christine McVie, Tom Bell, and Terry Hall. May heaven be as kind to them in the afterlife as hell on earth that is rock and roll was to them in this life. Let the games begin. Uh, The top 20 songs, or excuse me, the top 20 albums of 2022, as uh, expressed to you by each of your resonant curmudgeons, I will go first, Mm -hmm. uh, which means Arturo will get the shit out of his colon up front. Yep. And then while I sit here like eating lots of turkey, and then I get the shit on part of his list. Mm -hmm. So uh, let us uh, get started. Uh, I decided I went ahead and did twenty albums. Uh, I originally wasn't because, uh, generally speaking, now twenty years ago, as I've said uh, on this podcast many times, uh, I used to write about music professionally, and a lot of that was you know keeping current and uh, reviewing albums, and you know having to. Uh, assign uh, stories to writers and all that well inevitably you can't listen to everything but there's this pressure that I had in myself where at the end of the year you want to put together as honest a top 10 or top 20 as you can and not have it as incomplete and so there was always this rush to mm, listen right. to everything you possibly could before you did that well folks that was my week and so uh, my, my music is stuffed or my head is stuffed to the gills mm. with like Half songs. <laughs> yeah. And 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 full albums and all of that. And so uh this is like I said, it wasn't a very top heavy year, but the stuff that was good was very engaging. Uh and there's a lot of stuff I liked. Uh, I tried to do a mixture of best and favorite. And you know, sometimes those overlap. And it's like, and so some of these albums may not be as quote unquote good as some of the ones below them, but I had a bit, I had a more uh, personal reaction to him. Uh, two things to mention, and then I'll get going with my list. Uh, one uh, big trend the last couple of years, which actually warms my heart is that uh, albums are getting shorter. Mm, yeah. uh, the, the idea of an album, uh, we went through a while where if you don't have any boundaries, okay, so it's like a, a series of 45 singles or, you know, you don't care about the album. Uh, well, it, we're in an air 25 years ago uh everybody on the planet and the big thing was you have 79 minutes and 59 seconds to fill a cd yeah let's try to do let's try to get it as close to 79 59 as we can and right. as far as lot, i know a lot Metall- of
1: albums with a lot of padding and a lot of filler
0: yeah and as far as i know M- metallica's load actually came in at 79 59 right uh which and, is and,
1: and that was like 75 minutes too long
0: <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much uh but now you're getting like in my just for instance i'll just in my top 10 uh uh you know like I've, theres i've got one album on there that's 17 songs and 41 minutes i've got another one that's 10 songs and 27 minutes and the longest single uh disc or you know, one album album uh is seven songs 64 minutes and so uh, short albums Make for better albums, and I think that folks, that's coming back, and so that's exciting. And then the other thing that became pretty obvious as two thousand and twenty-two unfolded is that uh, the COVID pandemic shutdown in the world and the uh, the protests of uh, t- uh, the summer of two thousand and twenty here in America after the killing of George Floyd and uh, the uh, the wokeness and anger and uh, everything that that followed, uh, what it did is it there. There's a commonality now that there's a lot of themes that like run through these albums, which is kind of fascinating. A lot of albums about loneliness and uh, wistfulness, Uh, a lot of albums about nostalgia and, uh, you know, looking back at how you grew up and then a lot of albums about, okay, well, that represented a break. And so now I'm I've moved on. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore. And now I'm going over here. Uh, and some, some of that is anger. Some of that is sort of, uh, you know, being resigned. Uh, and so it, it leads to some fascinating tension. And so, you know, the themes are sort of uh, almost like transcending There's a lot of meaning of life. Kind of stuff, some of which is great. Uh, we have uh, one album in particular that's really uh, uh, pretty special in that regard—a double album. Any commentary on that before I get going with my list?
1: Yeah, I, I think one other one that you forgot to mention—that uh, kind of the kind of album that people are doing now—and we're gonna—I mean, I'll talk about it a little more in depth. But uh, Beyonce and a lot yeah. of records like hers, Renaissance, pure sonic. Ecstasy, get on the dance floor, dance and just let it all out. There've been several records in the last couple of years that have been like that.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think that also comes from the COVID of like, we're coming back out in the world. So let's celebrate, you know, Mm -hmm. we've been where we've been now. We want to, now let's love where we're going. Right. So I think there's, so that's a good point. Uh, And so that's kind of a different uh, leg of that. But, but also I think there's joy is another thing too. And I'm thinking of like uh, a record I'm going to talk about shortly. Uh, But like joy and fun and those types of things. And think about it. Just everything in the last two years is defined by those two things, COVID and the protests. Yeah. Uh, And so we'll, we'll get into that. So drum roll. Mm -hmm. We're going to go from 20. Yes. Uh, Number 20 on uh, Christopher O'Connor's list. Uh, Boat songs by MJ Lenderman. Uh, Jake Lenderman from Asheville, North Carolina. He is ostensibly an alt country uh, practitioner, but he pulls off the neat trick of combining the influences of Jay Farrar, pa- uh, Patterson Hood, uh, and some of those folks on the one end. And Stephen Malcolmus is Jay Mac- M- Mascus and I guess you can arguably say Isaac Brock on the other. And so he's got these 90s indie rock sensibilities and uh, all country sensibilities and he kind of mixes them. And so it's this uh, really uh, fascinating little record of... These sort of, um, do- so dopey, they're genius songs, yeah. and uh, just really, really poppy uh, with some crunch. And he's just got this kind of slacker, like Southern slacker wise man vibe to him that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. The The best song on it, and it's an extraordinary song, uh, I believe it's called TLC Cage Match. Yeah. Uh, which as it might suggest it's him empathizing with a wrestler that he's seeing getting thrown off a cage, <laughs> uh, on a, a wrestling uh, pay-per-view, but it's beautiful and it's profound. And it's yeah. like, you know, even the lyrics, like the empathy in the lyrics and the melody and all of that, it's, you wouldn't think. So it's, and it, it, this is how the album goes. It's like about a 35 minute uh, record. And it's these, em- these empathetic, uh, slacker um, really tight songs about weird stuff. Mm. And so uh, I really like that. Have you, have you heard this record yet?
1: Yeah, I heard it. Um, it's not bad. Uh, this is okay. I think, uh, I mean, I respect, I kind of like the idea of merging um, Southern rock with indie slash alternative rock sensibilities. My only thing is that I don't think the songwriting is consistently good enough Except, yeah, which, except for a couple of really good songs. The first one being one that you mentioned, um, TLC, Cage Match, which is by far the best song on the album and is yeah. really like this. Yeah, like you said, it's this beautiful, mournful country rock, uh, high, really melodic, really deep song. And the, other one, Foley. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the yeah. other
1: one I like is Dan Marino. As oh, a, yeah. As a Miami Dolphins fan, that cuts a little too close to the bone for me. A song, you know, talking about a guy who is – one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived, the greatest quarterback to never win a Super Bowl, yet he's being forgotten now because of guys who have come after him, who have uh, like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees, who have all broken records and won Super Bowls. And Yeah,
0: it, yeah. that makes me sad. Anyway, moving on. Uh, 19, wet leg. Uh, two British uh, gals from the Isle of Wight who are really fun. Uh, they do these sort of up, you know, these sort of up, uh tempo uh really fun galloping uh, uh 80s ish uh rock Nin- rock songs nineties. i hear more 90s 90s Nin- eight yeah you know, there's some go-go's uh, but there's also some breeders uh you know cl- clearly you know the uh kim and kelly deal are an influence uh but just a lot of fun songs so that was so that's wet leg uh moving on number 18 uh really interesting musical record with the goofiest lyrical concept of the year Uh, This is Lucretia Dalt's album, I. Now, uh, Lucretia Dalt is Colombian, and, you know, she's an avant-gardist, you know, classically trained uh, musician, and she now lives in Berlin. And uh, this is an album that reflects both, where it's like really slowed, stretched, Spooky bolero and uh, gumbia and and son and a, f- a few other Latin genres mixed in with that. Uh, you know, it's almost like Steve Reich <laughs> kind of uh, kind of weird uh, uh, tempos, but uh, clarinets, flutes. Uh, it's it's really you know the musical arrangements are really compelling, and she's got this singing style where, where she's really close to the mic and this sort of very. Like uh, very crisply enunciated kind of uh, weirdness, but there's a reason for that. Um, and I guess you got to respect it. And we're not joking. it's it's sung in Spanish. Uh, do yourself a favor and go find Google Translator. So this album is about uh, she hurt the character that she plays in this is an alien that is born from an asteroid who is shapeless, colorless, exists out of time. And wants to invade the planet, but is falling in love while she is invading the planet. This is it's it's ridiculous in a goofy, goofy, goofy way. But here, here again, it's a flawed record. But uh, I think she's a really good musician, and it's a really, really compelling arrangement for such a sci-fi uh, jazzbo kind of project.
1: Yeah, Lucretia Dull. <laughs> um, this album is, it, it, it's, not, it's not, it's not horrible or terrible. It's just terribly boring. It's boring as shit. <laughs> it's just third rate, like early mid eighties, Tom
0: Waits. Uh, number 17, Rosalia, Motamami. You've probably yeah. heard of it. Uh, it's not either number one or number two on a whole lot of lists. And I can see why, uh, uh, Lucretia, or excuse me, Rosalia is uh, Catalonian from Spain. Uh, Not exactly uh, a hotbed of uh, pop stars, but she does this engaging mix of, yes, Catalonian folk, but also uh, elements of reggaeton uh, and uh, Caribbean house music and, uh, you know, just straight pop. I mean, you know, Shakira is is one influence. Uh, And she this album is really good. So, you know, there's some electronic uh, stuff in there. Uh, Lead song, Salco. Uh, I think it's the most popular song on the record, uh, is very good. And then there's uh, there's some other stuff, uh, you know, sort of slower, uh, more folksy acoustic stuff to the point where I expect Juan Ace to show up on one or two of the songs. But, I could
1: only have improved this record.
0: <laughs> which I would expect you to say. Uh, but no, she's good. I could see why uh, the folks that are up there championing the uh, Olivia Rodrigo's and Taylor Swift's and even Beyoncé's, I could see why. Uh, they like her. She is very engaging. She does have a charisma. She is a star and look, she's good. I mean, she's, she's a good songwriter. She's a good talent. And, uh, will this album stand the test of time? No, but I think it is a good record and it's good enough for me to have put it on this list here uh, at the bottom. Uh, okay. Go off art.
1: Yeah, I, I am a Cuban American I spent my teenage years in Miami. I was there from the age of 10 to the age of 17, or almost 18, when I went back to New York uh, for college. And during my time in Miami, of course, being a Cuban American, going to school with a lot of other Latino kids, I was inundated with Latin pop music in school, on the playgrounds, not even the playgrounds, I was too old for that, but just in school, in the classrooms, on TV with my mother watching Sábado Gigante. Hmm. I, I grew up with Latin pop on the radio. I heard it on the radio with some of my friends and and even my mom to a little bit. And uh, it, it's it, it's exactly why I ran screaming to rock and hip hop.
0: Okay, <laughs> exactly I don't blame you.
1: Yeah, m- most of it is just atrocious, awful crap.
0: Oh, I usually agree with you. And this
1: this album is, in my opinion, a steaming pile of horse shit. Now, let me tell you why it is a steaming pile of horse shit. What is the one thing that Rosalia gets credit for? Every review you read, she crosses boundaries of genre, multi-genre, many genres. She goes from one genre to another. She's a multi-genre artist, genre, genre, genre. You would think she's the first artist in history to do multiple genres. Um, Have you heard of a guy named Beck? Yeah, he did multiple genres too, you know. And there have been plenty of other artists. Madonna as well. Okay, I know I'm going old here, but come on. The idea of artists doing multiple genres and genre hopping is not new. Let's not praise her. Let's not praise her for that. That's just something dozens, if not more than dozens of artists before her have done.
0: Now, oh yeah, I mean that that's not what I'm crediting okay. for. Yeah, of course. Yeah, genre bending. Okay, if you want to if you genre bend, if you want to make that your criteria, then that's just ridiculous, but, right.
1: but I, hey, just, okay, I just now, I just
0: I just right. think she I just think she does interesting work. See, well, here's the thing now. If you're going
1: to go into all these different genres, right? And here's the thing my thing with Rosalía, with, with, uh, with, uh, if you go into all these genres, every genre she goes into, She fucking sucks at. She sucks at every genre she does. She does hip-hop with Chicken chicken Teriyaki, one of the worst hip-hop tracks I've heard by anyone this year.
0: Yeah, that's the worst song on the record. There are plenty
1: of bad ones on this. Whenever she does like electronic pop, like the one you like, Saoko, fucking shit. Whenever she does traditional Spanish... Uh, sorry, traditional Spanish pop with a folk flavor like Delirio de, de, de Grandeza, Delusions of Grandeur, which is what she has. It fucking sucks. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, A, she's not a good singer. She really doesn't have a good singing voice. She can't sing for shit, man. She has that annoying, strained voice. She's really trying hard into all these different things. And it really doesn't come off well. She can't rap for shit. She's a terrible rapper, a terrible (laughs) singer. She's a really bad songwriter who tries to stretch herself out into different genres that she really has no business going into because she sucks at all of them. Because she herself probably has really bad taste in music. Frankly, Rosalia, I'm sorry if this makes me sound like a crude asshole. All she is is one big ass. That's all she is. (laughs) I've heard her music, I've watched her videos. Her talent is her ass. That's what she is. Okay? Well, I mean, it's, it
0: certainly doesn't hurt her marketability, but I, I do think that there's more substance uh, to her my, than o- my, that. Only,
1: my only hope for the future for Rosalia, there are two tracks on this album. There's one track called Bulerias, which is a really kind of a cool rhythmic Yes. I would say experimental, but it but, but it's a it, it's a very odd rhythmic track. That's like, oh, okay, there's something interesting. It's not necessarily good, but it's interesting. And then there's the tr- the, the title track Motomami, which is kind of this weird art pop or a, a modern take on art pop, you know. So, which I think for my for for my taste, what would save her the saving grace for Rosalía would be in the future.
0: Getting more into esoterica. Anyway, moving on. Uh, So this record, I have it at 16, but I have a feeling that by this time next year, I might have it at number one or number two in a retro list. Mm -hmm. Uh, J.I.D. with the forever story. Not J.Y.D. J.I.D. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not not grab them cakes. J.Y.D. Nope. (laughs) Uh, For all you wrestling fans out there, you'll appreciate that one. Uh, J.I.D. He is an Atlanta rapper that sounds like he's from anywhere but Atlanta. Yeah, Uh, he's uh, he's an interesting cat. Uh, And like I said before, uh, we were talking about Ben Staples at the top of the episode, there was uh, several albums this year of this uh, looking back and sort of telling the uh, story of the family or appreciation of the story of where you came from and some of the struggles uh, that you've gone through and, and where you're going and about uh, those types of things and very introspective. Uh, I think this is the best of them. Uh, I know mm-hmm. you just dis- disagree with that, uh, but this album is really, really good. And I think it's possessed, uh, you know, there's a... It, there's a lot of New York influence. Uh, there's a lot of Detroit influence, i.e., J. Uh, J Dilla, uh, Slum Village, and this kid is just a really good rapper. I mean, he's been he's been around. He's in his thirties. He's he was in the underground for a while, and uh, his first uh, record six years ago was called the ne- uh, the Never Story, uh, and so now this is the sequel called the Forever Story, uh, and. He's just got, got a great flow, a uh, very clever uh, rapper uh, you know, jokes that land uh, and uh, clearly influenced by Kendrick Lamar. I mean, he's got that kind of uh, cadence, but he's, he's a talent and uh, this, this just, um, uh, is just got a lot of, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun stuff going on and uh, actually some pretty profound stuff too. And so it's not, it's a, it's a varied record. Uh, it's, it's one of the longer records on this, on this list, but I like it a lot, and it's growing on me.
1: Uh, yeah, sure. th- 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 this is a solid album. I don't like it as much as you do. I think there are a few too many songs that have too many multiple rhythm shifts, and gets a little too proggy, if you know what I mean. But yeah. there are a handful of terrific tracks: "Crack Sandwich," "Can't oh, yeah. With Me." I love Surround Sound featuring uh, yeah. Twenty One Savage and Bobby Tate. Um, he's a really good rapper. He tells really good stories. The storytelling is what this album really is all about. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, yeah. There's
1: some pretty some pretty good beats, but he himself is really good. And I, yeah, I, I, I solid record. I like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, like you said, it's his uh, skill as a rapper that uh, that really stands out. He's he's got the technical, uh, the technical chops. And uh, like I said, talk to me in 12 months. This might be my favorite album from the year. Yeah. Uh, Moving on. Number 15, Emmanuel Wilkins, the seventh hand. Uh, Yes, a jazz record uh, makes my list. This is a real jazz record. And it's a really, really good jazz record. Uh, Emmanuel Wilkins is a young uh, man, uh, 24 years old, grew up in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, he is a Juilliard uh, guy, and he's based in Brooklyn now. Uh, this album is marvelous. Uh, he's an alto sax player, although he can also do tenor and baritone sax. Uh, but it's, uh, this album is a really, really strong—it's a seven-movement uh, uh, piece— and, uh, as the name suggests, uh, you know, Bible scholars and Bible nerds, uh, the seventh hand, there's this idea that there's these six hands of God in the Bible. And so yeah. this idea of, uh, and I read about this in nervy that the, the concept of the record is what if God was sitting in with us in the band and, you know, like, what if he, you know, how do we honor that? And so a lot of the arrangements, it, it's this really neat, uh, and so, you know, he's, he's got three obvious influences. Uh. Charlie Mingus, uh, in terms of, in terms of his pop and his melodic sensibilities, uh, John Coltrane, obviously, because he's an alto sax player and sort of this, you know, a lot of the, uh, uh, arrangement style and sort of the clearing out the space for him to, uh, feature, uh, as a soloist and then Ornette Coleman for the sense of adventure. Uh, and, Uh, he goes, he goes through, uh, there's songs on there that are very pretty, uh, and very just sort of poppy, uh, and you know, like some of the stuff from like Mengus Aum comes to mind. And then it ends with this 26 minute, uh, masterpiece of a jam where, uh, they make the arrangements so that the alto sax is straight in the middle and feels like it's rising the whole time. And it's a really neat hypnotic effect. Uh, this kid is really talented. Uh, and, uh, I think in a few years, you know, like jazz is one of those things. There's always like the, like the Grammys and time magazine always have like the one person yeah. that is the jazz man of the moment. Uh, by 2025, this kid is going to be that guy.
1: Yeah. Well, right now that jazz guy's Kamasi Washington. And, yes. Uh, I'm looking forward to his new album whenever it comes out. Yeah. He's
0: very good. Yeah. As far as
1: this one is, he, eh, you know, it's, it's background music, jazz. I listened to it when I was washing the dishes and I didn't listen to it again. It's just, eh, okay, yeah, move on.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, contain your excitement. Uh, no, I, it's, it's worth giving a chance. I had to listen to it a couple of times to really kind of get it, but- uh... But again, if it wasn't for my uh, my love of Mingus and Coleman, I mean, I'm not much of a jazz beau, but but those two guys are. Kind I, of I not... love
1: Mingus and Coleman too, but I I
0: don't think the influence rubbed yeah. off that greatly on this guy. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, like, I mean, he's he's got composing chops, but yeah. anyway, uh, well, moving on. Uh, number
1: anyone who's a classically trained musician.
0: <laughs> yeah, n- number fourteen, and this is a, a surprise me. Uh, that uh, this one scored this low, given how much his last record is one of my favorite albums of all time. Kurt Vile, uh, "Watch My Moves," uh, the Philadelphia Wonderkind. Uh, he comes out with his follow-up to uh, "Bottle It In," and it is a strong record, uh, it, but it's too long, and it it doesn't have "Bottle It In" is pretty much perfect. I mean, it just has a bunch of really strong. Uh, really tight uh, pop songs. Uh, This album, the best songs on it are the longer ones. I mean, Like Exploding Stones is extraordinary. Um, And there's uh, a few others that are of strong quality, but then he's got some others... That fall a little bit short, where he actually he tries to actually sing on this yeah. record, as yeah. opposed to kind of do his sort of uh, beatnik uh, right. right. you know, the you know the, the the stone hippie on the porch kind of yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But it's a, so he he makes some earnest attempts at singing; they don't quite work. Yeah, uh, yeah but. Yeah. For the most part, it's what you expect from Vile, really solid arrangements, really strong guitar playing mm-hmm. uh, and this this hypnotic effect on his best songs where he, you know, he places his voice perfectly in the middle of it. And it, it you know, just this really engaging, absorbing uh, music. It just it just was too long and a little too sticky at times for mid to be any farther, which is disappointing. Cause like I said, a uh, couple of those songs that I, uh, on this record are some of the strongest things I heard this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have this album in my top 10 and I'll talk more at length about this album later. I do agree that it is a little too long. You could have cut two or three tracks out. I do agree with that, but I think the good stuff is so, so, so good that it vaults over most of the music that came out this year. But I'll talk about it later when I get to my top 20. Next album, Chris.
0: Okay. Uh, and we'll talk about this one briefly because you know Arturo took a, a dump on this one too when I covered it in the Parallel Universe a few weeks back. Uh, Anxious, Little Green House. Uh, these are 19 and 20-year-old kids from Connecticut who uh, obviously listen to a lot of Texas' The Reason, and Rites of Spring, but then also, you know, Fountains of Wayne, Death Cab for uh, Jimmy Eat World, and a sort of uh, uh, Taking Back Sunday, et cetera, et cetera. And so they have a, a very strong emo, uh, 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 hard, you know, hardcore or post-hardcore uh, vocabulary. Okay, fine. That's all well and good. And you can say that's derivative. But there, as I said in that episode, fine line between reverent and derivative. And these guys are reverent because they can write – they write good songs. Uh, it took me a couple of times to listen to it, but there are some really, really strong songs uh, on this record. Uh, in April, uh, Growing Up Song, and uh, you, know, you When You're Gone, which is ends the record, which is unlike anything else on the record, which is more like a, like a pop song from 2005. These guys have chops, and again, they're only 19 and 20 years old, but the fact that they can play as well as they do, and uh, craft a melody as well as they do. You know, it gives me hope for the future. Hopefully they get their TikTok or SoundCloud break because that's really the only way rock bands can yeah. do anything these days. Right, right. Who knows? Uh, I know you said you hated it last time. Do you still hate it now?
1: I hate a strong word, but it is really bad. Listen, man, this kind of post-hardcore emo punk shit was really bad in the early '90s <sighs> and the late 90s. It still sucks now. It's just retro yeah. revivalist emo punk. Uh,
0: you know, it's it's an age old divide between you and I, Arturo. For twenty five years, I mean, you've you've never much cared for this stuff, and I I love it. So, at I its like, best, I you like, know, I, j- like,
1: I like I like I like at uh, Rights of Spring from nineteen. That their one album of eighty five, yeah. the, the very first emo punk record. And I like After Drive In. That's as far as I go.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I like Jimmy Eat World. I like Taking Back Sunday. I like Ooh, the- Jimmy Eat World had one good hit yeah. song. Yeah. And fallout boy had a couple of good songs, uh, you know, and, and so we have a divide on that. I kind of like that stuff. You kind of don't. And so this is indicative of that next yeah. number 12, uh, another, um, that you don't much care for. And I talked about it a little while ago. I'm uh, so
1: glad it's out of your top 10.
0: <laughs> uh, it almost stayed there at, at about four hours ago. It still was there. Uh, I, I was working hard folks. Uh, so number 12, black MIDI hellfire, uh, Of all there's this over the last three or four years, there has been a wave of young uh, London based art school bands, uh, you know, kind of like the, you know, the UK equivalency of like, you know, the Rhode Island School of Design movement.
1: Of which Squid is the only good one.
0: I would argue that they are good and Black Midi are good and the rest of them suck. Uh, Most basically they most. uh, But here's the thing. Black Midi is the only, is, is the one of these bands, these sort of these, uh, these art school bands, they sound like they're having the most fun. Uh, because yes, I mean, there's a lot of, Oh, let's take pieces of this and this and grandeur and all those things. But whereas like, uh, black country new road is grabbing, you know, they think our k- Kate finders, the funeral is one of, is the best album ever. <laughs> and so that ought to tell you something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, these guys, uh, I mean, they go, from once the best song on the record i talked about it before my favorite song of the year welcome to hell has a very 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 primus riff uh and uh, Jordy greep uh who's the uh, the lead guy uh, lead singer or singer guitarist songwriter uh he has a voice that's very reminiscent of marky smith uh and then it's if it came out of san francisco it's in this it's in this uh, this band, uh, there's a little bit of subtle Faith No More influence. Primus, they they have some speed metal breaks uh, that uh, are like Metallica. Uh, he kind of sounds like Marky e. Smith, which is kind of a big thing in Britain these days. <laughs> uh, usually that's not a great thing uh, here. It works, and so they'll go from like Welcome to Hell is like Primus a, a Primus riff uh, sung by like a Marky e. Smith guy with a speed metal break. And then the very next song might as well be from, like, you know, Wilco's The Whole Love. Uh, it's a very alt-country-ish, uh, lilting thing. And so very interesting, eclectic band with fun influences. They don't take themselves too seriously uh, musically. Griepa is actually a very good lyricist, uh, kind of surreal poetry, uh, stream of consciousness stuff, but uh, some really strong anti-war sentiments, uh, some very strong sort of... Uh, Again, sort of surreal, uh, almost somber love type of stuff. Um, Is it pretentious? Sure. Uh, But it's fun and engaging. And again, uh, uh, of all these art school bands uh, from London, they're the one that I can stand the most.
1: Yeah, interesting. Black Midi got a lot of praise in the UK press with their first album. Um, the UK press has kind of fallen out with Black Midi in their last couple of records. Mojo yeah. didn't even have it in their in their top albums list. Personally, I think Black Midi's first couple of singles were good. Uh, their very first single was good, Boom, Boom, Boom. And they had a couple of songs off their first album that were, right, were all right. Since then, it's just been... A downward slope of impenetrable, unlistenable, needlessly complex prog rock rubbish. The only thing I can say about Black Midi is that they're not as bad as Black Country New Road. Uh,
0: anyway, so, so that leads into an clever, album that clever
1: in a good way coming up. Yeah,
0: there. well, yes, and these guys are very, very good. Uh, we talked about them. Was it? Was it last episode? Yes, last we did. So let's go. Yes, uh, go. Oh, oh, oh death. Okay. They are a uh, Swedish uh, band uh, that performs in masquerade ball costumes that is inf- just as influenced these days by Nigeria as it is by Tuareg. Uh, they, and they are, <laughs> And yes, and Kraut rock or, or, or Germanic rock, if you want to be respectful. And so it's this very eclectic mix of a lot of things. It's basically like. Hendrix and Fela Cootie in the same band, which I think I'm stealing that line from you. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's really fun to listen to. It's very fuzzed out. It's got, you know, all those like, sort of African and uh, even in some cases, Middle Eastern uh, influence rhythms, but some kick-ass guitar soloing too. Uh, yeah, and yeah. so it's. It, it's a, it's a wild record. Uh, number 10, uh, an album I just discovered this week as part of my intensive, uh, study, uh, really surprisingly good record. When I describe it, you may not think so, but check this album out. It's by, uh, a group called bad boy chiller crew. And the name of the album is disrespectful. Now, uh, this, these is, uh, these guys, they're three dude, uh, three dudes, they're from a town in England called Bradford, which is in Yorkshire. Uh, Yorkshire. Bradford, Yorkshire, Yorkshire. Okay. Yes,
1: my, my my buddy John Stubley, who listens to our show, would be very upset if you said Yorkshire. Okay.
0: okay. Well, I guess I ha- I live on uh, what I, I for the last three years I have lived on Yorkshire Hollow Lane in Fresno, Texas. All those I guess
1: Americans, I. They can't pronounce it right.
0: Yeah, I guess I got to start calling my own house Yorkshire Hollow Lane. I've been I've been mispronouncing my own fucking house for 3 years. York,
1: Yorkshire pudding. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, there you go. I, I said I've been mispronouncing my own fucking street for 3 years. It's, it's, it's a good time to know that. Anyway, I digress. So, it's these three kind of young dudes. Uh they're they're kind of like they're knuckleheads. Uh they got their first notoriety by putting out like stupid prank videos on YouTube, like really stupid prank videos, you know, like, like, you know, convincing a friend to like stick their heads in like a shit pie kind of stuff, you know? (laughs) And so it's very kind of sophomoric and, uh, they have done a couple records and they mostly like to rap about how they love cocaine and party and that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. So this group, uh, they're, uh, indicative of a genre, a dance genre in, uh, growing in Britain called Baseline, yeah, which is essentially uh, it's a, a a house music that's uh, happy and peppy with like really sharp drum programming, and so it's kind of like a, a a dialed down drum and bass that's way happier, and so mm-hmm. kind of like think like 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 mid nineties, you know, is this love, uh, uh, or. Or uh, Everybody But the Girl, and that kind of like almost chill, kind of happy, uh, like uh, dance house uh, kind of music. But here's the thing with them. And so you get this, it's this really engaging, really almost in some ways pretty uh, house music. But then uh, their main rapper is a guy named Kane, who is very influenced by Dizzy Rascal and is like an orthodox grime rapper. And so you've got grime raps over happy peppy house beats. Uh, and it is a really kind of, it's a really cool juxtaposition and it's a fun record. It's a compelling listen. And like, you know, Kane's got a great voice. He's not quite as Daffy Duck as uh dizzy rascal was. Yeah. Uh, but clearly kind of the, the, the same kind of uh, uh, influence and same kind of grime uh, school. And it's, it's just a compelling and it's, it's, is it a dumb record? Sure. But it's a dumb, fun record yeah. and uh, really, really well done. Uh, I probably should spend some more time discovering Baseline, which again, I, I would just sort of just call it like happy peppy house music. Uh, <laughs> but uh, apparently Baseline is a thing. It's, yeah. uh,
1: honestly, I have not heard this record because you submitted your final top 20 a little too soon before we recorded <laughs> So I yeah. couldn't get around to it. <laughs>
0: uh- Honestly, the only, I, this is like one of those albums that's like, so this, if we still lived in New York, this would be kind of the album. If you didn't like shop at other music, you would have never heard of it. Uh, the only reason I know about it is because John Carmonica, the great, uh, critic from the New York times had it on his top 10, uh, Mm. list for the year. And so I checked it out and uh, I was really, really surprised. I listened to it a couple of times and I said, you know what? I got to blow up my list and I think it belongs in the top 10, uh, Another one of those that happened this week is at number nine. Oh, yeah. Flo Millie. You still here, ho? (laughs) Uh, Flo Millie is great. uh, And she is destined for greatness. I think she's, what, two years away from being a huge star.
1: Yeah, she's she's on that trajectory.
0: She's kind of there now. So, uh, interesting story. She is a uh, very tall, very good-looking, dark uh, black girl from – or lady from – uh, Mobile, Alabama. Uh, that's an important description. Uh, so she is a really, really talented rapper, uh, who really was, good
1: flow, really good rapper.
0: Yeah. yeah and you know, we're, she grew up on the,
1: uh, the, uh, this, this new wave of female hip hop artists. She may be the yeah. best.
0: Yeah. She grew up, uh, you know, on Neo soul, but also grew up on Missy Elliott and yeah, you can, th- hear, th- you can hear some of that. Uh, but, but also Fergie, uh, and so, you know, she had these kind of, you know, th- like, like, like attitudinal, uh, female rap and her whole thing is she, she's like, uh, liberation music, uh, for dark skinned black women with very, very, what we would call black features. And, you know, a lot of those ladies, even in the black community, they get a lot of shit or they look yeah. at as low class or whatever. And so it's her and I was reading about, she's done interviews of this. This is her way of saying, fuck all y'all. And so her whole idea of, Hey, ho, I'm up here, you down there. So, you know, uh, and so all throughout the record, it's just, it's thrilling because she's really good. She's really funny. Uh, and you know, she, she's, there's a lot of influence from Miami in the music too. You know, -hmm. it's, it's, it's very, very much rooted in booty music. Um, and so she has got a future. She's also got a presence, uh, a present. This is one of the best hip hop records uh, of the year. Uh, she's a star. Um, and yeah, is she body? Sure. Uh, is she profane? Sure. But the idea of hoe as the put down yeah. is, is just great. I mean, again, uh, just I, I want to, you know, I, I get this picture in my mind of a battle rap between her and Megan Thee Stallion. Yeah. Where basically, uh, here's my impression of that battle rap. Bitch, ho, bitch, ho, bitch, ho. For like, for an hour. Uh, Megan The Stallion is also great, but uh, this girl is a superstar. She is very, very, very talented and uh, looking forward to hearing what she does next. What is she, like 22 or something? 22,
1: yeah. This album just barely missed my top 20 because there are a couple too many... uh, a a couple too many songs that are a little too poppy that kind of get away from the hardcore hip hop beats of the best stuff on the record, you know, songs like like payday and hottie and stuff like that. But but most of it is really, really, really strong. My thing with Flo Millie, you mentioned something about, you know, her, you know, she, she's, she's, she's a woman, she's an African American who has supposedly, you know, very, very black features. And she gets picked on even within people in the African American community. I don't, I don't. I never got that from her. What I got, and you listen to her lyrics, and it's really okay. She has, she 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 raps a lot about quote unquote bitches who are hating on her. But what I interpreted, they hate on her because she's tall, she's beautiful, and she's talented as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> and she's yeah. more talented than a lot of the than most of the other hip hop artists. Uh, male or female out there. Number eight going. on your list, 180 Degree Opposite, The Other Way.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so this is a record, uh, and I'll admit I'm guilty of this too, Recency Bias uh, really kind of uh, soured the uh, ratings on this record. Okay, and now, as Art said, the 180 Degree Opposite, uh, Big Thief, uh, Dragon, New Moon, Mountain, Warm, I Believe You. Uh, that is that is a mouthful. Uh, this is a double album, uh, and... Uh, by the brilliant, brilliant songwriter and singer Andrea Lanker, um, this album I think in the uh, end of year rankings, and I'm I'm guilty of this too. I think suffers from what you would know what you would call as recency bias. Uh, this album was released the second week of February, almost a year ago, uh, and. At the time everybody was celebrating it, it is a very strong, very consistent uh, double album. And so, uh, you know, you've got songs like Simulation Swarm, which have, you know, a little bit of rockiness to them. And uh, there's just a a couple of the best songs uh, I heard uh, this year on this record. Uh, But. It's only at number eight on this album, on, on this record, for a couple re- or on this list for a couple reasons. Yes, there is some recency bias until this week. I hadn't listened to it till June. Uh, and so uh, in the meantime, there were some albums that kind of stuck with me. Uh, there's uh, one album that came out on the same day, a little higher on this list that I'll get to in a minute, that stayed more in rotation uh, than this. I don't know if it's because it's a double record or if it's because it was music of the moment and I, I moved on. Uh, yes, Andrew lanker is one of the best songwriters in America. Incredibly talented. It's a very strong double record. One of the best double records of the last ten years. Yeah. But I, there was yeah. just seven Shout albums out. that creeped in that yeah. I liked more, or I thought mm. were better.
1: Mm. Yeah, this album. Uh, I'm not going to say anything because it's it's very high on my list, and I have a lot to say about this. So let's yes. move on, Chris.
0: Yes. Uh, yes, we will. Uh, number seven, Built to Spill, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. Uh, this is uh, one of those where favorite and best kind of collide. Yeah. Uh, uh, as anybody that has listened to uh, these uh, podcast for the last two years knows, uh, Built to Spill might as well be the resonant curmudgeon rock reports house band. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, we both love Keep It Like a Secret. We both love uh, uh, There's Nothing Wrong With Love. We both love Perfect From Now On, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, This album, When the Wind Forgets Your Name, was Built to Spill's best record since at least 2006. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more I listen to it, the more I think it may be their best record since 1999. I I don't know if you necessarily agree with that one. No, no way. Not even close. But uh, it's a very, very strong record. Doug Marsh. Doug Marsh. Is another product of of COVID uh, in in some ways. So right before COVID, he had a chance to tour down in South America in Brazil, and uh, you know he's sort of been the last few years. He's been kind of there's musicians that have gone in and out of his band. While he was down there, he borrowed two guys that are the leaders of this band down there called Aruya uh, O R U uh, A. Definitely check them out on uh, the streaming services. That are a really cool hybrid of like psychedelic jazz, uh, prog rock and like built spell. And, uh, they lend their talents as a rhythm section to this. Uh, they were planning to record in person together then COVID happened. And so it basically tape trading happened and Doug worked in isolation, obviously, because one of the big themes of this record is, uh, uh alienation and, uh, cynicism. <laughs> and sort of, you know, this metaphysical uh, rot, uh, I guess maybe he was feeling. He's even said that he did not enjoy making this record. However, there's a lot of beautiful stuff on it. Um, uh, some of It's his best guitar soloing like, on songs like Spiderweb uh, and uh, Fool's Gold. Uh, there's just some kick-ass uh, uh, soloing. I think that uh, Le Almedia, who is the drummer and uh, leader of... Uh, Oruya really contributes a lot to this record. And, uh, you know, I just think, you know, Doug, Doug, was inspired. He actually plays a lot of keyboards on this record too. And he indulges in something that has always been an influence, but not quite as strong, uh, until now, uh, in, uh, uh, uh reggae and the song rock steady, which is this sort of spooky, spacey, goofy, uh, reggae song, uh, really, really strong record, really engaging. Um, there's like one, maybe two songs that are a little bit clunky, but the rest of it is great. And it's his best stuff in a long, long, long time. Long live Doug March. What's a are
1: Yeah, no, I love Built to Spill. I'm like you. I'm a big Doug Marsh fan, and I like this record. I think it's a good album. Um, I think I it's a nine track record. I think the last third of the album kind of falls apart. Like you said, it gets too clunky, and I think the songwriting just kind of falls apart. Um, I, I don't think it's their best album to keep it like a secret. I I love uh the, uh, the, the, the universe. universe and i actually i think there is no man there is no enemy from 09 is a really good record you know doug marsh does disco who knew <laughs> but yeah. uh, uh i like that album. but this for this album it's a really good record i think uh, when the critical reviews came they focused too much on the psychedelic brazilian tropicalia shit there's only one song on the album that has yeah. the resembling Brazilian tropicalia that's the fourth track elements yeah everything else is pretty pretty built to spill by numbers yeah and, uh, it's good it's solid I like it I just don't have it nearly this high
0: yeah and for what it's worth well is the uh, easily the best drummer that uh, Doug's mm-hmm. ever worked with and so it's a really strong uh, drumming record not only that but in the songwriting I think that the influence of Jay Maskus, which mm-hmm. has been subtly apparent for years is now yeah. obviously yeah. apparent Uh, in a couple of instances here. So a good album worth checking out. Uh, Number six, an album that Artie and I are a little bit uh, diametrically opposed to. Again, uh, Grace Ives and her album, Janky Star. Uh, Grace Ives is a uh, Los Angeles lady uh, who grew up uh, fairly well, but she, I guess she was kind of a, um, what would you call almost like a female Andrew WK hanging out in a room, playing with her synthesizers. And so uh she's very diy she's very kind of uh, on her own but she does these really really interesting uh synth and drum machine programmed uh uh beats/ tunes uh backing songs and write some really really compelling really strong uh electro pop uh uh songs and they're you know they're very they're short they're tight they're poppy uh they have these sort of these crisp uh uh, drums and, uh, she's a pretty, a very, very good singer. So it's, it's compelling stuff. It's 10 minutes, it's 10 songs, 27 minutes. The strongest song is the end uh, song of the record, which is built on almost like a Baroque kind of chamber organ type of, uh, uh of, of loop. Uh, the song is called a lullaby. Uh, I think she's very, very good. Um, Let's see what upside there is because, you know, she has the misfortune of following like uh, folks that are kind of of the same genre, but with much bigger budgets and frankly, a little bit better. Lucy Dacus and Phoebe Bridgers and folks like that. So I don't know how much of a push you'll get, but I really like this record. Um, As I said before, uh, shorter is becoming better. I like the fact that it's 10 songs, 27 minutes and no true garbage. Uh, Good stuff
1: me it's just I, it's a derivative electronic indie pop i've heard it done a hundred times well not that because a lot of is a lot of that stuff out there is pretty bad but i've heard it done better by other artists than her you know if she yeah. doesn't get if she doesn't get a push i understand why stops uh uh get out of songwriting and stick to recording engineering maybe that's her talent
0: yeah. Uh, for 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 what it's worth, uh, yeah, sure. There's a few people that uh, do what she does better. They just didn't release albums in 2022, <laughs> uh, and so this is one of the best records of 2022. Uh, five Spoon Lucifer on the Sofa. Uh, this is Spoon's best record in at least 15 years. Uh, I would say uh, probably going back to like Ga 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 Ga. Uh, this album is very, very strong. It is Britt Daniel's best songwriting in a long time and best playing. Uh, kind of getting back to their roots. Uh, they, uh, after what, for about ten years, they moved out to LA and they made
1: really bad albums. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, there's no such thing as a bad spoon album, uh, disappointing yeah, they <laughs> albums. Uh, they had a couple of, you know, a couple of albums that had a couple of good singles, but were not quite as inspired or not quite as fluid. There's a fluidity to what Britt Brit Daniels and that band does in terms of their songwriting and their arrangements that they just make it seem so damn effortless, which is why they're one of the best rock bands of the last 20 years, 25 years. Uh, and so they're back on that on that. Uh, on that I mean, the uh, the title song is one of the best songs uh, this year. Uh, it's very sensual, uh, very rhythmic. Uh, it's on a par uh, with their best stuff. Uh, obviously, like I said, now they're back in Austin and hey, they moved back to Austin and they do their best record since the last time they lived in Austin. Go figure. Right.
1: Yeah, I I like this album quite a bit too. Not as high as you. I have it in my top 20. Um I'll talk briefly more about it as we get uh when we get to my list. Number 4 for you, Chris.
0: Yes, number 4. Uh the best hip-hop record of uh the year uh, by uh, a large margin. Uh Pusha T. It's almost dry. Um uh, Pusha T is brilliant. Uh he's the one of these coke rappers, you know, there's these these drug dealer rappers he's the most credible. He's the most compelling. Uh, he tells the most chilling stories. Uh, he's a guy who he's the only guy in hip hop who does not laugh at his jokes. Like <laughs> He can be pretty funny, but he doesn't laugh at them. Like Biggie laughed at his jokes. Tupac laughed at his jokes. This guy does not Eminem laughed at his jokes. This guy does not laugh at his jokes. Uh, and so, uh, really engaging character. Uh, he's a 20 years ago. He was, uh, uh, he is from Virginia beach, uh, which Pharrell Williams is also from the Neptunes kind of gave, uh, his, uh, er, his first band clips, uh, their big break, uh, with the song grinding, which is one of the more, uh, one of the better minimal beats of all time. Uh, but this record, uh, it finds Pusha T at the top of his game as a rapper, uh, really tight, uh, really interesting, compelling, and at times funny, uh, even though he doesn't let it on, it's funny. So funny. You wonder if he actually is psychotic. Um, but here's the neat thing about it. Uh, there's a 12 song, 36 minute record, uh, six songs, uh, produced by Pharrell Williams, six songs produced by everybody's favorite Jew hater, Kanye West, (laughs) uh, easily, easily, easily the best stuff generated by those two guys in years. Uh, they are both at the top of their game in Kanye's case, uh, Diet Coke, uh, which is, you know, one of the, one of the better, uh, songs, uh, this year, uh, by anybody, uh, in, you know, basically that's Kanye getting back to the stretched vocal sample and, uh, sort of, you know, minimal uh, effect from there. And then Pharrell just uh, throughout, it's just this really minimal, like really strong, uh, uh, drum programming. And just, he just gives a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff or a room and space for uh, Pusha to operate and just sort of really compelling and really odd and uh, not as poppy as Pharrell was in his best, but it's, it's just really, what would you say? It's, it's, uh, compelling, it's engrossing and it really, really fits Pusha T's personality as this sort of this, uh, sort of grim, you know, this grinning menace, I guess is what you can call Pusha's, uh, yeah, uh, uh, persona. And so a uh, great record. Uh, it's a testament to the power of uh, drum programming and, uh, and production and performance and everything. Marvelous record.
1: Yeah. Th- this album is all right. Uh, it's just all right. Uh, it's not, I, I, not as, I mean, I don't think it's nearly as, uh, as, as great as you think it is. Uh, I think the second half of the album just kind of falls flat in this miasma of mediocre beats and, you know, his, his lyrics just get monotonous. There's only so much you can hear about cocaine. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, the first half of the album's got a couple of really good shining moments. Uh, the, the One of the Pharrell, Pharrell Williams produced tracks, Let the Smokers Shine the Coops. That's probably oh, yeah. the best song on the whole album. And uh, the only song by Kanye, anti-Semitic dickhead West, that I really like, that that he produced on this record that I like, is Just So You Remember, which has a really interesting sample. Can you tell us that sample, Chris?
0: Okay. Uh, It's one of those bands that only, like, Arturo and me have ever heard of. Uh, (laughs) Colonel Bagshot's Incredible Bucket Band, which uh, was a British band that was uh, active in the early 70s that did some psychedelic rock. And so it's one of uh, Kanye's more interesting uh, uh, choices, uh, on this record. Uh I will say this. I think the best song on the record besides Diet Coke uh is Rock and Roll. And that's a real factory uh song because that's that's Kanye. Uh he builds the vocal sample and the hook around a Beyoncé song where he mm. stretches out her vocal and get it. So he's doing the stretch out this is how old we are. He does the stretch out effect on a Beyoncé song. Mm. Uh and Kit Kit Cuddy Writing uh, the hook and then pharrell and his team they took it over and you know they kind of refined the drum programming and all of that but just really really strong uh original melody and brilliant use of that vocal uh, hook and so again to me best hip hop album of the year okay so we're getting towards the end here uh number three king gizzard and the lizard wizard ice death planets lungs mushrooms and lava did i get that right yes all right, because that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of words for, uh, for. Hey, it's uh, it's six words for a seven song album, and hey, what is the album about? Oh yeah, ice, death, planets, lungs, mushrooms, and lava. Uh, obviously, King Gizzard is probably uh, the most annoyingly prolific band in the world, uh, but they're also one of the best bands in the world when they strike the iron with focus and with purpose, right. and mm-hmm. when they're you know they. A lot of times they just, they'll go off of simple premises and then kind of improvise their way there. Sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does. Uh, This is one of their best records. Uh, Certainly their best record since Infest the Rat's Nest from 2019. Uh, This is just a pure jam out record. Uh, The concept was, is that they were going to take seven individual major keys and uh, over seven days, they were going to do seven jams based on one of those major keys. Hmm. And so, uh, and so yes, they get, all, they get some, uh, some sunny, uh, reggae stuff out of it. They get some Frank Zappa, uh, sounding, uh, zaniness, uh, and just a lot of, uh, a lot of ev- evocation of, of seventies, uh, guitar rock and a lot of jamming, uh, stuff, uh, from then, heavy, uh, this-
1: Zappa, heavy Zappa, heavy Santana influence. Yes. Two of them. Yes.
0: Uh, Santana, especially, uh, Santana and Zappa. And uh, Stu Mackenzie um, is a fabulous guitar player in the sense of, uh, yes, I mean he, yes, he's a muso, uh, You know, he he's very dexterous on the on the fretboard, and but he doesn't give himself enough room to show off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. here it 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 gives him the freedom and the 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 air around him to show off. And he is really, really, really good. And uh, Okay. So, so we're getting to the top of my list. Uh, number two uh, yard act, the overload. Uh, this is a Testament to the fact that sometimes when you listen to an album, the first time you're hearing more than listening. And when I first heard this record, uh, I had an aversion to, uh, I mentioned it earlier that we're kind of in a season of British speak singer, uh, you yeah. know, of, uh, of uh, uh, records. And I got a little too distracted by uh, the band leader uh, of Yard Act. Uh, his name is James Smith, a little too distracted by his speak, sing and and didn't really tie it together with the music. And then so in the last month, I did that. And this album is awesome. Uh, it's a debut record. They're a young band, uh, one of the best first records, uh, first you know debut records in a while. Uh, basically picture like the kind of the speak, sing, but. Almost, but like the early '80s, kind of new wavy kind of speak singer of like you know PIL or you know you know that kind of stuff. But like back by like Franz Ferdinand, uh, very groovy record, very funky in spots. Uh, James Smith, you know, he's not like a lot of the other speak singers. He's unlike. He is not really an angry guy. He's not. uh, He's not uh, cynical. He's not really kind of you know a bitter dickhead. These guys are great because they 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 doing just some they're snarky and they are sociopolitical in their lyrics but they rock and just a lot of groove some great riffs uh just a lot of big audio dynamite's another compare i can make they, mm-hmm. they, they just have this uh this rhythm and this force and just this they're they're a, they're a hip-shaking post-punk band uh with some interesting sort of speak sing uh stuff going on uh Very strong. So strong that uh, they moved up from about number 19 to number two Mm -hmm. within five days. Uh, you know, sometimes it's sudden onset and you got to check out this record. Arturo covered it in a parallel universe segment almost a year ago. Uh, great stuff. Yeah. No,
1: I love this record too. I don't have it quite as high as two, but I do have it pretty high and I will give my two bits on it, uh, very
0: soon. Okay. And then, uh, number one, uh, on my list. And, uh, It's number one in my heart, not quite in arts, uh, Soul Glow, Diaspora (laughs) Problems. This is a uh, no middle ground album, if there ever was one. Either people love it or they hate it. I happen to love it. I think it's the most um, exciting record I heard this year. I think uh, it's a cult of personality metal record. Uh, The front man of this band is a a young black man from Philadelphia named Pierre Jordan, who is a screamer extraordinaire who has a lot to say uh, about both his personal demons, political demons, uh, you know, being young, black and radical in the United States and seeing the organized left fuck everything up and being bitter about that. That's not something you hear a lot. Uh, You know, Rage Against the Machine, they were on mission. They weren't, They weren't saying, and I'm embittered by the fact that George Floyd protesters got it wrong. Uh, And not only that, but talking about therapy and all of this, it's these, they might as well, they're very, there's like 6,000 words in the album, uh, but it's this sort of unhinged screaming. And he's really, really compelling, but the band is great too. I mean, they're just, they just rock the fuck out. Uh, Great drumming. Uh, and just really great, uh, sense. Yes, there's some bad brains influence, as like, you know, black hardcore bands are apt to do, but there's also some hip hop influence, a little bit of funk influence and, uh, you know, prog rock influence too. They are a really exciting, uh, really, uh, energetic young band with a lot to say with not just anger, but introspection, contemplation, and, uh, in some ways, bitterness. It's it's a really fascinating mix, and I love the the title "Diaspora Problems." Uh, they really are the future of hardcore, and I'm really excited about this record. Now, as I said, no middle ground record. You either love it or what else?
1: Yeah, if this is the future of hardcore, hardcore is fucked. On this episode, Chris and I counted down our respective year-end lists of the best albums of 2022. For the next episode, we're going to do a different kind of countdown. In fact, it's one that the Curmudgeon Rock Report has been excited about for a long time. I'm sure you've all read, glimpsed at, or at least have heard of many lists of the greatest albums of all time. Every major music magazine has published one at some point in time or another, and we've all had our opinions about them. Well, an album is essentially an LP, which is a long player format. One format that often gets overlooked is the EP, or the extended player format. So much great music, especially rock music, has come out in the form of EPs throughout the past half century, particularly many bands and artists' first releases. A few music geek websites, especially of the obscure variety, have published their lists of the greatest EPs of all time. Well, one half of the Curmudgeon Rock Report will speak for both, as we will put out our own spin on this and bring you the 50 greatest rock EPs of all time. Join us in a couple of weeks as we begin the new year in typically curmudgeonly audacious fashion. Now it's my turn. My oh, yeah. 20 albums of the year 2022. Number 20, Wilco, Cruel Country. This with this band, Wilco, some, some of you should know them. Uh, some of you may not know them. They are an American institution. They continue their rejuvenated hot streak that started with 2016's Schmilko. And on this album, they give us what frontman songwriter Jeff Tweedy calls their most direct country music album yet. That's a little yeah. deceiving because while country twang is very much evident throughout this entire double album, folk rock and subtle shades of post-rock and psychedelia permeate throughout. In yeah. other words, it's another very good Wilco album.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think it's their best uh, record since The Whole Love from 2011. schmoko's pretty good. Uh, uh, Oat to Joy was disappointing, although it had one of their best songs ever, uh, yeah. White Wooden Cross on it but uh but yeah this record is strong uh you know it's long there's a lot there but it's good it's good a double album
1: All right three double albums in my top 20 hey. number 19 another country or country rock experiment angel olsen big time After wallowing in aimless electric guitar solos and suffocating, smothering string arrangements on her last two albums, respectively, Angel Olsen returns to mostly stripped-down, rootsy American music on this album in the form of epic, lovelorn country music. Uh, Imagine Patsy Cline reimagined for the 21st century. Good call. Uh, The title track is my favorite song of the year.
0: Chris? Yeah, uh, beautiful song. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful songwriting on this. Uh, I couldn't quite it, put it in my top 20 because the album does run out of gas.
1: And toward the uh, end, yeah. Uh, yeah, in does.
0: the last like quarter of it, like last, last three or four songs, it runs out of gas. And so it, I couldn't quite put it there. But yes, uh, Big Time, the song is one of the three or four best songs of the year. Uh, and she is a talent. Uh, for yeah. sure.
1: She's been around for a while, too.
0: Yeah, she has. All right
1: number 18 uh again king gizzard and the lizard wizard the first of five albums they did this year and one of the only two good ones um this album more on the awesome second one later on this album the band really do something unlike anything else in their dense discography it's essentially a sound collage of mostly ambient techno that drifts in and out of full band funk Workouts with indigenous Aboriginal instruments, four piece chamber music, and soft electro soul. Uh, yeah. It's a mesmerizing listen from start to finish, and a true outlier uh, in their catalog.
0: Chris, yeah, it's uh, it's it's EDM is done by Ken Gizzard and uh, uh, Aboriginal instrumentation. You know, diggeridoes, and uh, it's it's a really fascinating. You know, like you said, it's very eclectic. But the idea of having like like trance, uh almost right. trip trip hoppy type beats as spiked by Diggeradoos and yeah. you know, the uh, yeah, Aboriginal percussion and all of that. It's it's pretty wild. Yeah.
1: Number 17, OCs, formerly the OCs, and their album A Foul Form. OC's main man John Dwyer said in an interview that this album is essentially an homage to all the punk bands that the members of the band grew up with. With 10 songs clocking in at under 22 minutes, (laughs) the full throttle, nonstop barrage of punk and hardcore fury is a far cry from the prog rock, jazz fusion, heavy metal hybrid of previous high watermarks such as 2019's Face Stabber and 2018's Smote Reverser. If not their best album, it's arguably the most fun one.
0: Yeah. It's basically 22 minutes of straight bash the fuck out. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Dwyer grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and he got his start, uh, in the all ages, uh, punk, uh, uh scene there yeah. when he was in his teens, you know? So, you know, it's the kind of stuff, you know, it's like, you know, you know, who, who cares about tunes, uh, <laughs> when you're just trying to bash out and, uh, yeah. you know, have, have, uh, fun with, with your buddies without trying to break too many arms. Mm-hmm. Out exactly. there out. so uh, good good, reverend stuff
1: speaking of fun the next one number 16 Wet Leg yep. and their self-titled debut uh, the breakout indie rock band of the year who had a worldwide hit single the previous year with the very Strokesian uh, Chase Long come yep. up with a debut that recalls Britpop era blur and the poppier side of the breeders songs about bad boyfriends and bad parties Never sounded so buoyant and vibrant,
0: Chris. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, there, there's a fun and a joy to this record, yeah. but also, you know, it's one of these. You know, there, there, there's these kind of like cutesy, like kind of understated girls who uh, are who can basically like zing the shit out of you. You know, uh, they're they're yeah. really their barbs are really really sharp. Yeah, and so that which makes for a for a fun listen. Yeah.
1: Number 15. Spoon, Lucifer on the Sofa. After spending the last decade in a slump by putting out, I think, joyless concessions to contemporary indie pop, i.e. retro eighty synth pop and ethereal rubbish, one of America's best bands moved back to Austin, Texas and get reacquainted with guitars and voila, released their best album in at least 12 years. Not only is Britt Daniels songwriting back in top form, so are his vocals.
0: Chris. Yeah. And and I, I mentioned uh, the title track in in my segment. I also have to give a shout out to the hardest cut and the devil and Mr. Jones. Uh yeah. Th- the hardest cut is actually right there with you know some of the, you know, like uh some of the stuff from 05-07 is just yeah. really quality, really strong stuff. So yeah, yeah welcome back, Britt. Right.
1: Number 14, the band that is my mission to make Chris an obsessive of, (laughs) GOAT uh, with O Death, one of rock's best-kept secrets. The last decade has seen the Swedish collective traverse the middle ground between acid-drenched psychedelia and 1970s Afrobeat and inject rock and funk muscle into indigenous South American folk music. Uh, on this album, they bring all those elements together and the two-thirds of the album, on the first two-thirds of the album, while on the last one-third, launching into what always seemed destined for them, quote-unquote kraut rock, or better termed 1970s German progressive rock, a la Can and Faust. There is no band like GOAT on the planet right now.
0: No, there isn't. And and actually, you're you're off to a very good start. <laughs> uh, uh, in, in, in making me an acolyte of goat. Like I said, they, they were, uh, just outside the top 10 on, on yeah. my list, as you heard before. So yeah. yeah, great stuff.
1: Number 13, personal trainer, big love blanket. Willem Smith's band of merry 1990s indie rock loving pranksters. They come from the Netherlands and they give us an intoxicating blend of Brit pop think blur, a uh, smart Alec indie rock, think Ben Queller and eels in their lighter moments and self-referencing dance rock. Think LCD sound system. Yes, you can trace the influences, but Smith assimilates and repackages them in a thrilling listen. That doesn't seem contrived.
0: Chris, yep. if you're a talented songwriter and an arranger, then you are a slave to idiom. You are not a slave to genre. Yeah. Uh, I'll mention, uh, one band, uh, that I saw on some lists, uh, called, I don't know if you've heard of this band, Drug Church. Never uh, heard of them. They are, they are the epitome of a quote unquote genre band. They kind of like late period pop grunge. Yeah. And, uh, they are awful. They, they're showing up on lists, but they are the, the exact opposite. Opposite of personal trainer in the sense that they are adherents to genre, not idiom. Uh, these guys can write songs. These guys can perform. And obviously they loved all that stuff because they've mixed and mashed and, you know, and done a, like a really great blend here.
1: Right. Number 12 Calexico, El Mirador, translates to the mirror in English from Spanish. For over two decades, Calexico have made a career out of mixing Mexican folk, the spaciness of Ennio Morricone's cowboy western soundtracks, and unsettling, noisy indie rock textures into one of rock's most irresistible concoctions for El Mirador, they go into Colombia and explore the country's traditional dance music style of Cumbia to produce one of the most beautiful and enchanting albums of this year. Rosalia, this is what Latin music really sounds like.
0: <laughs> hey, that's 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 a pretty good shot. Uh, hey, I guess Joey Burns got really bored with the Sonoran Valley, which is yeah. the Tucson and then uh, Mexico right there. Uh, and so, yeah, he had to go like South, South, South at a border and, and find Cumbia. And so, uh, they, they, they keep a fresh spin on their desert noir, uh, Latin concept. So, so good yeah. stuff. I
1: love Alexico. Number 11, Bob villain. Bob villain presents the price of life. Now rap metal has a negative connotation and deservedly. So, I mean, limp biscuit, kid rock, the deaf tones. Yuck. But what if the rap comes from the UK-based grime style, the metal is more rooted in hardcore punk, and the drum sound is processed to have an almost techno-style breakbeat delivery? Oh yeah, and throw in intensely political lyrics that encompass class conflict, race, mass media manipulation, and the consequences of imperialism. Mix that all together, you get the long-awaited British answer to Rage Against the Machine. Awesome.
0: Chris? Uh, don't agree. I think they're a better idea than they are a band. Uh, and uh, my personal thing is uh, I think that they ape a little too much from uh, an old uh, New York hip-hop group named Dead Prez. Uh <laughs> Yeah. I and, think it's a good thing. Dead Prez needs more they, they, they need yeah. more of a spotlight. Well, well, Dead Prez was awesome, but you know, that just sort of even bringing going for as far as to bring in a vegan anthem. Uh, you know, uh in and Dead Prez's case, it was a song called Be Healthy. Uh yeah. and so it's just kind of like meh.
1: Number 10, Kendrick Lamar, Mr. Morale, and the High Steppers. Although his last album, Damn, produced some great singles, it was overall a pretty underwhelming affair that saw what I see to be hip-hop's greatest solo artist make too many concessions sound-wise to corporate radio mainstream hip-hop. On this excellent double album, Lamar gets back to what he does best, lyrically conceptual slash thematic records that serve as meditations while delving into challenging and innovative soundscapes beyond the reach of what most, if not any, mainstream hip-hop act is capable of. Meditating on fatherhood and family is what's on Kendrick's mind at the moment, as is his relationships with his gay and transgender relatives and the legacy of both physical and sexual abuse in poor African-American families. There's a lot of content on this record, and I think it's great.
0: Yeah. And and that's my issue. I think it's a very good record. Uh, I didn't. It missed my top 20 because I think it's too long and too musically uneven. However, Um, thematically, uh, it's incredible. And, you know, Kendrick Lamar is uh, one of the great lyricists and writers and thinkers in the history of hip hop. He's up there with Tupac Shakur and Eminem and a few others. Uh, And some of the stuff, like you said, uh, the anti diaries. Uh, is mm. just extraordinary where he's talking about his transgender relatives and mm. and basically defending them uh, but also put through a Christian gaze, which is extraordinary yeah well, um, what I
1: love about it is that he's, he's 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 basically because Kendrick Lamar is a Christian himself yeah and basically it's it's a Christian coming to terms
0: with LGBT yeah but what it is is it's a Christian coming to terms with LGBT. By, you know, loving thy neighbor, Exactly <laughs> and by by actually, by actually being a Christian.
1: Number nine, El Khat, al-Bat-Alawi, up 99. This is probably the most difficult music to describe in my list. So here <laughs> I go. Uh, El Khat are from Yemen, or the main guy from El Khat is from Yemen, a country way down south in the Arabian Peninsula that is known for its political and economic struggles, to put it lightly. To put it lightly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, poor, poor the band,
0: yeah. the
1: band that incorporates members from Iraq and Poland, go figure. <laughs> <it. laughs> they they play a mixture of conventional instruments and exotic homemade instruments. The music can be loosely described as jazz infected by the traditional music of indigenous Yemeni, which can also be loosely described as odd time signatured and unconventional to Western ears. Horn arrangements and way out there string instruments. It's also one of the most intoxicating albums I've heard this year.
0: Chris, yeah, I need to spend more time with it. Uh, but my first impression is, hey, Mesopotamian King Crimson is a thing. Uh, <laughs> you, know, it, you know, like you said, it, it's it's very windy, bendy, and very adventurous, and it does it actually does. Um, Hey, you know, I mean, yeah. some of those Middle Eastern instruments, uh, if, you know, you know, try to picture Robert Fripp playing guitar instead and it, it, you know, it, <laughs> o- it overlays pretty well. Yeah. Uh, definitely. so, uh, yeah, I, I, am I'm, I'm, I'm compelled and ne- definitely need to spend more time. Uh, I didn't have time. I probably still wouldn't have made my top 20 just cause it's such a curveball. but, mm. uh, and there were a few other, you know, like the, uh, Emmanuel Wilkins and a few other kind of wild albums that I like better. So. Okay,
1: right. number eight. We're almost done. Kurt Vile, watch my moves. Uh, one of America's preeminent rock singer-songwriters has taken his formula, basically Tom Petty meets Lou Reed, shades of mm-hmm. pavement, pavement, Hits of the Meat Puppets, uh, mm-hmm. into interesting areas. Uh, there's been folky Kurt Vile, psychedelic guitar maestro Kurt Vile, laid back. SoCal, Topanga Canyon, Guy at a Piano, Kurt Vile, and a hybrid of all of the above. Vile had never done pretty before until yeah. now, and this is, if not his best album, arguably his prettiest.
0: Yeah, and a couple of songs that I uh, didn't mention in my segment that need a that need a shout out: uh, Mount, Air, Mount Airy Hill and Jesus on a Wire. Yeah. I think are, and, and Palace of OKV in reverse, which is uh, better and it has a right to be because it's so goofy. But, yeah. uh, but the masterpiece on it is like Exploding Stones, uh, one of the best songs and one of the best guitar lines he's ever come up with. So good stuff.
1: Number seven, uh, The Mysterines, Reeling, an album that made the top 10 in the UK pop charts. They're getting big over there. One of the two best debut albums of the year. Imagine if 1990s PJ Harvey got together with Black Rebel Motorcycle Club and had their children. That's all you need to know how awesome about how awesome this band is. Leah Metcalf and her band are ones to watch. Chris, I know you're not that big a fan.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, the first two songs are awesome. I mean, they're just intense. They're energetic. They're uh, they're rapid and uh you know the uh one of the best uh, song titles uh, of the year uh life is a bitch but i like it so much yeah. uh but but then from there i think that after the first two songs i think it goes like a little too much into uh polygene uh worship number 6
1: yard act we just spoke about him a little bit the overload this is my pick for the day, the best debut album of the year. Yard Act, like we spoke to, spoke about already, they are not the first British band to blend angular, funky, post-punk vibes with spoken word diatribes dripping with socio-political commentary. But man, they're really good at it and quite funny at times too. Frontman James Smith's surreal narratives differ from other people who have mined this territory, namely Mark E. Smith and The Fall. Different in the sense that his lyrics are warmer, more relatable, and frankly, a little more human. Number five, Aldous Harding, Warm Chris. After finally realizing that melodies, catchy hooks, and alluring rhythms can actually go hand in hand on 2019's designer, Aldous Harding takes it up a notch and finally becomes a great songwriter with this year's Warm Chris. Uh, She still likes to play vocal dress up and sings in a different character in each song, but it works here because of the passion and depth she gives to the performances. In interviews, uh, she admitted to being very influenced by 1970s, Laurel Canyon, singer-songwriter, pop rock on this record. And it shows alongside a subtle early Randy Newman influence in a couple of other tracks. It's the epitome of an acquired taste, and it finished quite highly in a lot of uh, British critics' lists. Yeah. But but you're not a fan of it, Chris.
0: No, not really. I I think that uh, Uh, there is a little too much of that impersonating more than singing uh, mm -hmm. stuff going on. Uh, Lawn is a good song. I like lawn that that's that's a good uh, catchy, cool uh, single. The rest of it, though, I just think it's it's a little too pretentious. It's a little too. Hey, look at me. And again, I just wish that she would sing sing as opposed to, you know, shape shift Um, that that gets a little uh, gets a little annoying. Uh, Yeah, it's better than her other stuff. I did check out her uh, early stuff. And yeah, you're right. uh, That is truly horrific. This to me is just boring. Uh, And I don't know. I'm just not. Very, very compelled. And, you know, I talked about Grace Ives on my list. Uh, I think for sort of uh, female singer songwriter stuff, I think which her stuff is more exciting and maybe not more original per se, but more exciting and like more honest. I really, I really think that.
1: Yeah. All right. Number four, my pick, and probably the, the number one consensus al- uh, uh, pick for album of the year for most music media Beyonce Renaissance. Uh, Beyonce is a rarity among pop megastars who generally ride the R&B soul funk train. She actually gets better with age. Uh, She follows up Lemonade, one of the landmark pop albums of the 21st century, by letting her hair down, singing about sex, and just getting funky, and even funkier. Uh, She takes 1970s disco, 1980s house music, and modern day trap music, and Basically Beyonce fies it and she Beyonce fies the fuck out of them. Uh, One of a handful of truly great albums from
0: this year, Chris, you know, I, maybe I would have a higher opinion of it if it wasn't following lemonade. Uh, Mm. but as it is, it just kind of strikes me as lazy. Yeah. Is it a party record? Sure. I know it's gotten press as a celebration of, 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 uh, you know, black female liberation, I guess, but I, it's just, it's Beyonce just kind of fa- like, you know, basically, you know, she swears a whole lot. She says the N word a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of like, Oh yeah. You know, and there's, there's the one song break my soul that has like 18 songwriters on it. And so it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it you know, and so yes, there are, there is some great beat work on it. It is a, it, you know, it uses some very clever disco samples, but, I couldn't put it on my list. It was just, there was an offensiveness to me that the woman that did those destiny's child records, which by the way, that's the most indelible stuff to this day that she's done. are those couple of destiny's child. Oh shit. Lemonade is it. Well, lemonade. And that's, that's it. But, uh, but she did those destiny's child records and then lemonade. And then now she's doing this record, which while it's competent and fun and, you know, like i said strongly made and produced it's just it's like come on beyonce you, you're better than this you've been better than this you, you know you you wrote formation which is incredible as a, as a true uh political statement subversive anthem and then you follow it up with cuff it, which is just like which is just like like horny you know like almost like getting laid in the club bathroom kind of shit, you know?
1: Yeah. But you know, I think this is the album she needed to make after maybe. lemonade. You know, yeah. She needed to make this kind of record.
0: Yeah. Maybe she and needed to chill out.
1: Especially in a post COVID world. Get yeah. People dancing again. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I understand. I mean, yes, it is the consensus number one album of the year from the critics. I understand that because yeah, it, in terms of craft, in terms of production, in terms of, uh, of work rate or, you know, on the music or whatever it, it, yeah, it is an accomplishment. It's just I'm just disappointed, uh, and mm. so I'm my disappointment gets in the way for me. And no
1: recency bias here. This album came out in June. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: Yeah, it it yeah. and and but not only that, but like Break My Soul and a few of those songs, they've been on the radio ever since too. You know when yeah when Beyonce comes out with a record, it has a shelf life. Right, exactly.
1: Well, she's Queen B for a reason. Yep. All right, number three, King C. <laughs> the chats get fucked. Yes, that is the name of the album. Queensland, Australia's finest, broke big in Australia and got serious underground buzz in the US and the UK two years ago with the album High Risk Behavior, their intense, no bullshit take on 1970s punk rock with fun, funny, goofy lyrics that dwell on the mundanity of everyday life, yet subtly touch on socio-political issues without dwelling on them. Sounds derivative? I challenge any band of the last 30 years, any punk band in the last 30 years, including Green Day, to touch this vein as well as the Chats have. Well, two years later, exit the old guitarist, enter a new one, and a new hardcore punk edginess has seeped into the Chats' sound. The humor is still there, but it's a darker, more sinister humor. The reason this kind of punk rock survives is that when it's done with this kind of energy and this high caliber and quality of songwriting, it's unbeatable. And the Chats are simply not just one of the best punk rock bands. They're one of the best bands on the planet right now.
0: Yeah, uh, they're they're on their way to being special. I, I think that they, in some ways, they'll outgrow the goofiness. It, there's some of it still there. Uh Actually, yeah. the best song on the record is the dopiest, which is I've been drunk in every pub in uh, Brisbane. Brisbane. Uh, <laughs> Brisbane. Yeah. And uh, but like I said, there's still a little too much of that goofiness and that kind of that that almost like, you know, sort of wink, wink, child uh, niche. And yes, there there is some subtle and subversive commentary. But uh, I think, yeah, it's a fun record. You're right. Uh, the change of guitarists has made a world of difference. And not only that, but their bassist has improved a lot, too. Yeah. Uh, on this record. He, I,
1: he writes all the songs. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I know you you have it way high. And again, this is kind of like, you know, the, the personal taste thing of why, you know, why do I have some of uh, the stuff so high on my list? Uh, I just think that there were just, you know, 25, etc records that were better than this. Uh, uh, but I am impressed uh, with with this band. And I think maybe in the next two or three years, they're going to they're going to come out with a stone cold, absolute classic. Uh, they're on their way.
1: Yeah. Number two, and we spoke about this recently, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Ice, Death, Planets, Lungs, Mushrooms, and Lava. That's my number two. The third album they released this year is by far and away the best of the bunch. It's generally progressive rock, but while hints of everything they've done before poke through, what really sticks out is what's becoming their truly unique amalgam of jazz, funk, 1970s r&b soul and electronic pop this would have been unthinkable had one gone back 10 years and seen the or heard the turbocharged garage punk band of 2012's 12 bar bruise album Uh, the musicianship and guitar playing on ice death planets is the best of any king gizzard record but it's the crisp live in the studio production that really drives it all home
0: yeah. The, the most impressive thing about Ken Gizzard is their musical vocabulary and yeah. their lack of uh, reservation. I mean, you can tell mm-hmm. those guys have a lot of fun and they yeah. they love playing music. And again, you know, sometimes that's not such a good thing. You know, another tenet, you know, there's something to be said for quality control. Yeah. Uh, in this case, though, uh, they really captured some magic. And uh, come on, Stu. Uh, Bring out the axe even more, you know. Keep bringing (laughs) out the axe, you know.
1: This really should have been their only release of this year, yeah. I
0: I think it would have been
1: on more critics' lists had it been so,
0: yeah. Well, that's the problem with King Gizzard, they're never going to quite get their due because it's like drinking from a fire hose with them, and you know, you can't, they don't let you relax, so
1: exactly. But this band does, and they are my number one album of the year 2022 Big Thief, Dragon, New Moon Mountain. I Believe in You. It came out, I believe it was in February in 2022.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was the second week of February.
1: I fell in love with it then. I said, I'm not going to hear a better album than this album. And I was right. Now, before I get into this album, let me get something off my chest, Chris. And I think you'll appreciate this. There seems to be a notion among some music fans that has been fed by music critics, especially UK music critics, throughout the years. That double albums are indulgent, unnecessary, uneven, and too long. This notion unequivocally amounts to, at best, a bullshit myth and, at worst, a steaming pile of bullshit. Either way, bullshit. (laughs) Allow me to list some albums, shall I? Yes. The Beatles, the Beatles, the White Album, otherwise known as the White Album, Bob Dylan. Blonde on Blonde. The Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. The Who, Both Tommy and Quadrophenia. Jimi Hendrix, Electric Ladyland. Led Zeppelin, Physical Graffiti. Pink Floyd, The Wall. Derek and the Dominoes, Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs. George Harrison, All Things Must Pass, A Triple Album. Miles Davis, Bitches Brew. Frank Zappa, Freak Out. Captain Beefheart, Trout Mask Replica, Todd Rundgren, Something Anything, Elton John, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Joni Mitchell, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life, Marvin Gaye, Here, My Dear, The Clash, London Calling, The Minutemen, Double Nickels on the Dime, Husker Du, Zen Arcade, The Cure, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Prince, Sign of the Times, Sonic Youth, Daydream Nation, the Orb, The Orb's Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. Aphex Twin, Selected Ambient Works, Volume 2. Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Wilco, Being There. One of your favorites, Chris. Nine yes. Inch Nails, The Fragile. Drive-By Truckers, Southern Rock Opera. Outcast, Speaker Box, The Love Below. <laughs> Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Abattoir Blues, The Liar of Orpheus. LCD Sound System, their self-titled debut. Do you catch my very, very long drift?
0: Yes, uh, every, and what? And what do most of those albums have in common? Every single one of those albums are considered either
1: among those artists' best albums or their best albums. Period.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, in yeah.
1: Most, in most cases, they're on most lists. Of the greatest albums of all time.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, most of those albums you just mentioned are the best released by those artists. Uh, Good call, including Todd Rundgren, something, anything, by the way. So,
1: yeah, double albums, mostly great. Double albums that are too long and indulgent are really more of an outlier and an exception. We've talked about a couple of them on our list. Any band or artists that are worth their salt and consider themselves great,
0: should do
1: a double album. Yeah. Yes, Chris.
0: Yeah. I was going to say the most impressive thing about this record, really, uh, it, because it is a double record here we are in an ADHD. Look at me, social media, uh, you know, technology culture. Uh, they're, they're able to make a 20 song record and all 20 are at least good. And then in the case of like, uh, Oh, you know, a a couple of uh, uh, ones, you know, the very beginning of the first record, like half the second record. Fucking great. Uh, Yeah. Absolutely.
1: It's just one fantastic, amazing song after another. Yeah. I'm going to describe a little bit of the music here. Sure. Okay. Of course, the Big Thief album brings me to their their album, Dragon, New New Moon Mountain, I Believe in You, based in Brooklyn, good old Big Thief and it's a good old-fashioned double album in the most classicist of senses, and it's also the best album of 2022. Their last couple of albums moved the band in a folk rock or indie folk direction, but on this album, they blow that template up across a wide canvas recorded in four different studios throughout the U.S., and they blow that wide canvas up in a rich tapestry that includes gentle... Intimate country tinged folk, lushly arranged 1960s style folk rock, shaggy, ragged 1970s grungy folk rock with Neil Youngish guitars and Grateful Dead swing, and noisy indie rock that tries to find the middle ground between My Bloody Valentine toned way down and the war on drugs, more dissonant tendencies toned way up. Uh, None of this would work if the album didn't possess band leader and singer-songwriter Adrienne Lenker's most beautiful, melodic, emotionally resonant, and most arresting lyrics yet. It is a songwriting masterclass that with its frequent psychedelic, uh, surrealistic imagery and cosmic philosophizing makes you wonder if they were consuming something other than food when they assembled this material, yeah. quarantined in the woods of Vermont in July, 2020 during yeah. Wow,
0: that, that's, that's an awesome place to be. If you can't be out, you know, if you can't be in the world, you might as well be out in the woods in Vermont doing whatever is growing out of the ground in Vermont. So exactly. Good stuff. Now,
1: some naysayers may say that the disparity in musical and songwriting styles leads to a disjointed, uneven effort. Well, that, well, what some may call cohesive and even I call monotonous and same sounding. How can you not like eclecticism and variety in the music you listen to? How much worse would the Beatles had been if Lennon and McCartney wrote the exact same kind of songs and had all their records produced the same way? Uh, I'm looking at you rolling blackouts, Coastal Fever. Yeah, no (laughs) shit. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who doesn't hear the greatness in this big thief record, needs to seriously reevaluate their taste in music. Two years into this decade, it's already, in my not-so-humble opinion, one of the top three albums of the entire 2020s.
0: Yeah, I, I think certainly that you can say that uh, they're probably the best rock band in America right now, or the best Maybe. Tra- tra- the best traditional rock band in America right now. Yeah. And uh, Lanker's a songwriter. Uh, he said, it, uh, you know, one, one thing that you can say in, that our number one albums have in common is a, uh, is a strong, compelling, uh, no middle ground uh, front person, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, very unusual uh, people, you know, uh, Adrienne Linker, uh, you know, and her, and her background and her uh, influences and some of the, like said, some of the surrealism that she lives in. And then, you know, PR PR Jordan sort of unvarnished way too realism. Uh, so at, at least we're, you know, what I like about our list is we like what we like and, you know, there's, there's no bullshit there. They, they reflect our personalities, but also, you know, look there, some of those are really great records, but you know, the way music is now it's, there's more good music than ever before and there's not a whole lot of shared experience. And so it kind of excites me that you and I, what, you know, like half our lists overlap or whatever. Yeah, but we yeah. we kind of came to that. I know, like I turned you on a couple of things, you turned me on to a couple of things, or whatever. But a lot of this we just kind of found independently on our own, you know, yeah. and came to those conclusions. And so, uh, so that's kind of neat. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes in 2023. But I think the trends are very exciting. I think there's a you know the the introspection and uh, sort of edge is coming back post-COVID and post-George Floyd and yeah. shorter the better. Um, I'm telling you, I want my number one record next year to be 11 songs, 19 minutes. Anyway, folks, uh, happy new year, Merry Christmas, etc. Uh, if you, uh, what was your favorite record? Uh, what was the worst record for you? What was your favorite record? Uh, hit us up, curmudgeonrock at gmail.com uh look you know look out for some action on our facebook uh curmudgeonly community page uh become a member it's invite only but unless you're barred from being near a school we'll probably let you in uh, facebook.com slash curmudgeon rock uh, we will have uh individual posts our and i where we kind of where we publish our lists so that you can go explore these albums and love them as much as we do and then uh, finally uh before elon musk destroys it uh join us you know check out our twitter feed uh you know we we, we follow a lot of interesting people like Steve Gorman of the Black Crows has a really great feed um, and uh, Paul Stanley of Kiss surprisingly enough has a great feed mm-hmm. uh, so uh, at Curmudgeon Pod uh, join us there and so uh, with that and also look out for a Spotify playlist uh, too you know and that's something that you're going to see a lot of in the next month is uh, I'll probably be plastering uh, y'all with a Spotify playlist of old episodes so look out for that